Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 38 of The Revenge of Kang. Yesterday, on page fucking 37, the story finally really got started, I would say, when our heroes traveled in Kang's timeship, which they stole, but, you know, it's Kang. Like, you're probably going to find out you are Kang someday. It's probably your timeship. Due to the coordinates pre-programmed into the time machine, our heroes ended up in the iconic basement gymnasium where the X-Men famously train and fought the original 1960s X-Men, minutes before, it turns out, their very first adventure together. The reason our heroes are adrift in the time stream at all is because they found out earlier in the adventure that something has happened to history, all the superheroes post-World War II are missing, now they know that Kang is involved, and after the obligatory fight cute with the X-Men, Professor X showed up to use his vast psychic exposition-providing powers for good and discover the plot of the adventure and explain it to our heroes at last. Let's pick up on the previous page where this begins. So Professor X came into the basement gymnasium saying uh, he detected another presence. He thought somebody was in the time machine. So he searches the ship and he figures out it's not another person. It's that sphere that our heroes found a couple of pages ago on the time dashboard of the time ship. That, as mentioned at the time, is a computer that operates on the same principles as a mind, making it conveniently discoverable by Professor X. And because he's psychic, he can access it. No word on how Kang accesses the information in his own computer ball. Again, who cares? He's Kang, as comic book writers have been saying down through the decades. So when Professor X links up with the sphere, then he gets some information. Quote, there are several duplicate Kangs running around the multiverse. Since the heroes are not new to time travel, they are familiar with this concept, but you still might want to read them the essay on time travel found in the introduction. For real, it says that here in the text. Read an essay to your players at the table. We should have expected this. This is the natural evolution. We've done quizzes at the table. We've done writing at the table. We've done checking other people's math at the table. No doubt soon we will be doing actual algebra problems at the table. And now the author suggests it's not enough. Full-on lecture at the table. And not just a lecture, but a bad lecture. Read directly from your notes to the class. Don't make eye contact. What is this, one of those touchy-feely liberal arts role-playing games? Read directly from your notes to the player group, which ideally would be like 100 people in uncomfortable seats. Now that I think about it, there's a very strong overlap between bad old-school role-playing and bad old-school education. But anyway, once you've finished reading the introductory essay to the players, uh, what else can they find out? Well, it turns out that the sphere contains a message to Kang from Kang, in which sender Kang asks recipient Kang to please join the Kang master plan to work together to take over the timeline. This temporal missive uh, was also CC'd to uh, four other individuals. See if you can guess who. That's right. Kang, 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 and of course Kang. The idea here, at least as Kang describes it to Kang, is that Kang will be able to take over the Earth if he can prevent the superheroes of the 20th century from existing. He's planning a big assault, and his calculations indicate that he has an 85% chance of success if he can eliminate all of the superheroes from the timeline, but only a 2% chance of success if he can't eliminate the heroes from the timeline. Therefore, Kang has reached out to a broad coalition of Kangs with data on 
a few key superheroes whose careers started at the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. Sometime in the 60s, presumably, but as we're going to see, the dates are hazy. Specifically, Kang wants the other Kangs to help him take out the X-Men, Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Marvel Girl, Angel, the Fantastic Four, the Thing, Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Girl, and then the Human Torch rounds out the Fantastic Four. And then Kang also wants the Kangs to take out Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Daredevil. And then there's some calculations that show how this is going to start a chain reaction so that there will be no superheroes if you can take out all of those other heroes before 1970. Now, Kang is not relying on his own respective good natures here. He's not relying purely on self-fellow feeling. He's offering all of him are going to split the timeline after it is conquered in exchange for all the hard work. Each of the Kangs who's in the loop on this plan is meant to go back into history to prevent one hero or group from forming. The Kang who was in the shitty pocket dimension was the one who was supposed to take out the X-Men, but that Kang was dubious. That Kang, when he got this time ball in the mail was like, I smell a rat. I never trusted that guy, Kang. I'll look at his numbers all right, but I'm doing it my way, see? And so he took some extra time to check the other Kang's math, figured out everything was on the up and up and that this plan really was going to work. But then by the time he took off into the time vortex, the time vortex was already all fucked up from what the other Kangs had done. And so the Kang who was supposed to go kill the X-Men ended up in the shitty pocket dimension. That latter information, by the way, is not actually in the sphere. It's in the time ship's computer, but that doesn't matter. What does matter is that the time sphere contains one last thing. There's a message addressed to our heroes that reads, quote, warning, danger, file name, fireball, file name, fireball. And there's no other explanation for this so far. This is just a little clue for later. So remember, file name, fireball. Now our hero's next step is clear. They need to get back into history and stop these various Kangs from preventing the existence of these various superheroes in order to stop the ultimate Kang's plan. But that won't be able to stop the ultimate Kang, right? His plan still has a 2% chance of success, which is a pretty low number, but not low enough for the probability that this ridiculous man is going to take over the entire timeline. So the heroes do need to go stop Kang. The problem is, where and when is Kang? How could we know? Well, we could trace this sphere that he sent, this time ball, figure out where it came from. Quote, it is impossible to determine exactly what point in space and time the sphere was sent from, but the heroes might be able to get a fix on the direction in which the sphere was sent through the temporal vortex. Can you feel it? Can you, can you feel it coming straight at you? Quote, unfortunately, travel and time is so complex, the heroes would need to get five such fixes on the sphere's point of origin before they can locate it. After the heroes defeat each of the other Kang duplicates, they will find the spheres that were sent out to each of them. After they have all of these spheres, the PCs can track down the location the spheres were sent from with a single good intensity reason feat. It's triangulation. It's motherfucking triangulation. But not just any triangulation. Five-dimensional cross-time triangulation. This is some kinky shit. I don't know how they got away with publishing this. In a role-playing game for kids? But here it is. Five-way triangulation. Gotta go gather up all those time balls. Don't forget. Whatever you do, don't forget to hold those balls while you triangulate that's the way the author likes it. Then and only then will we be admitted to the final battle with the final Kang. But that's not going to be for many more pages. Right now, what we need to do is get out into history and stop these subordinate Kangs from taking out early Marvel superheroes. Fortunately, maybe, our heroes will not be alone in this task. Quote, Professor Xavier volunteers the aid of his X-Men for this mission. In fact, he will insist that they be allowed to help, though he will stay behind. Sounds like Professor X. Quote, you should encourage the heroes to split up into two separate groups, each composed of a mix of PCs and X-Men. Please note that the you there 
is just straight up the GM. As though the judge were standing in the middle of the room, in the middle of the basement gymnasium, just barking out orders, pointing, you go over here, you get over there. Just a little reminder that all pretense of a fourth wall is gone. The judge is directly in the story telling everyone what to do. In any case, because you've got two time machines, you can split up into two groups here. And this way, you've got two mashup teams out there in history trying to set right what once went wrong, is about to have gone wrong. The verb tense remains unclear, but in any case, two teams are better than one, right? Definitely not. That's the dumbest thing in this page. If you think about it, our heroes, and by extension the whole timeline, have been extremely lucky up to this point. All these Kangs had their marching orders from their boss, Kang. They all went out into history in a coordinated effort to take out these key superheroes to create a superhero-less future. One of them, out of a truly delicious and ironic distrust of himself, wasted time verifying his own math and motivations and got caught in a time storm and ended up in the shitty pocket dimension and was therefore unable to escape to do his intended job and kill the X-Men. Counting each group as basically one superhero unit, we've got X-Men, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Spider-Man, Iron Man. That's five units of superhero, which means five pillars of Kang's plan, right? To go from a meager 2% chance of success in taking over the timeline to an 85% chance, he needs to take out these five pillars of the superheroic 20th century. And our heroes have just purely lucked into the X-Men being alive and well. And then they presumably stranded Kang in the shitty pocket dimension, so that Kang's not coming. This is a huge boon. That's one of the five pillars of Kang's plan that has already been foiled basically by accident. Now you're going to load these motherfuckers in a notoriously unsafe time machine and take them, of all people, around history to go fight other backup Kangs? Why would you do this? Why would you not leave them where they are and let them do what they were going to do to make the future less conquerable by Kang the Conqueror, which is the reason that Kang sent Kang back in time to kill them in the first place. Is it because you think they're going to be more useful uh, providing superior numbers, additional firepower, and taking out these other Kangs? Well, they're not because you're splitting the group in two. You've still got a four-person group or a five-person group or whatever you were going to have originally taking on each of these Kangs. You've just got two teams operating at once. Well, I say at once. What does it mean to have one four-person team operating in 1969 and another one operating in 1963, quote-unquote, at once? What's the difference between one team going to 1969 and then after they're done, going back to 1963 to do a different job there? After a nap if they want. Makes no difference. I mean, depending on whether a particular hero group is stronger or weaker than the original X-Men, maybe the addition of the X-Men represents an overall rise in the power level of the group, but not so much that it's worth risking giving Kang exactly what he was after in the first place and sending these kids into harm's way, fighting Kang across time, especially when, you know, there are other superheroes. It's kind of confusing because the X-Men actually debuted in 1963. This scene is set in 1966 for some reason, but it's also at the time they first debuted, so this has got to be like a sliding timescale thing. Apparently, the timeline the heroes are currently in is one in which there are no superheroes around by 1989, because that's the way things were when they had the fire at the no longer the Avengers Mansion in the earlier chapter. But it's not clear how this newly modified and chronologically shifted origin of the X-Men relates to that timeline. Like, in standard Marvel continuity, there was a Fantastic Four before there were X-Men. Do these X-Men exist in reality in which there already is a Fantastic Four because Kang's changes haven't propagated to their point in the timeline yet? Or is it that these are alternate 1960s X-Men from a reality where there never was a Fantastic Four because the Kang who was sent to kill the Fantastic Four has already done so? All of it's pretty unclear. 
But it also all doesn't matter. Because what about the fucking invaders? Sitting around World War II with their thumbs up their asses, doing nothing. They're already your friends. Go back in the time machine and get them. Apparently, they're not pillars of superheroism in the 20th century. Otherwise, Kang would have an assassin out for them too. Go, Just go get them. Or what about some other contemporary superhero who's not on this list? I can't imagine how Kang's changes in the timeline would prevent there being like a Doctor Strange at the time of the X-Men's formation. Just go see Doctor Strange. Or as a, a listener suggested on Twitter, go unfreeze Captain America yourself. Use that unfrozen Captain America. Sure, he's going to vanish after the timeline is fixed. That's fine. You think Captain America is going to say, oh no, that's too much self-sacrifice for me, Captain America. Of course, Captain America would love to vanish for the welfare of the world, and especially America. It would be an honor and a privilege. Now, that's not the only reason this is the dumbest thing in this page. This this in-plot logical issue where like, you're basically giving Kang the one thing he wanted by putting the original X-Men back in harm's way at this point in their timeline. In addition to that, the X-Men are by far the weakest mid-module surprise party edition in this adventure path. If we were going to stick to that gimmick, which we didn't have to, right? Like, I think it worked really well with the invaders in all this in World War II. It worked pretty well with the cowboys, despite some mechanical issues in the weird, weird West. It was a good idea, at least, there. We didn't even have to do it in this module. You could have just dropped it. But if you were going to do it, the X-Men are a bad choice. The thing is, the look of the X-Men in the 1960s is kind of an iconic part of 60s Marvel. But other than that, these characters are not very distinct from their modern counterparts. I mean, clearly they're much younger and their comic book is worse. I mean, they're they're less developed, they're less characterized. But in terms of like their powers, the 1960s X-Men do not symbolize 1960s Marvel in the way that like Ditko's Spider-Man or Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four do. And they're mechanically not very different from their modern day counterparts. And they don't really have a strong contrast with the modern day characters. You know, World War II heroes, Golden Age heroes are quite different from modern superheroes. But the 1960s X-Men, I mean, these are characters that say you're playing the West Coast Avengers. The West Coast Avengers already know all these people. And some of them knew them way back then too, like Scarlet Witch, you know, Hawkeye. They were superheroing back then. They knew the X-Men back during these days. So it's just not an interesting, like, meeting of worlds in the same way as teaming up with Western heroes or Golden Age heroes. When you combine the fact that this is just not a very engaging idea, either mechanically or conceptually, with the fact that in the context of the plot, this is an extremely bad idea, pressing the 1960s X-Men into service here as a secondary player character group, that's the dumbest thing in this page. I would love to see something more like characters from an alternate reality, uh, a motley collection of 1960s superheroes who wouldn't have been affected by Kang's changes, like the aforementioned Doctor Strange, although he would have been a little too powerful for this. But, you know, maybe early Doctor Strange before he got a lot of his stuff together could have worked. You could have done earlier historical Marvel characters. You could have done kind of a Bill and Ted thing where it's like, let's go back and get Marvel continuity characters from like the prehistoric era, some pulp style heroes, heroes from the World Wars, mythological heroes who would have been around during this time, and just kind of make a ragtag band of heroes Kang didn't think to shut down. That would have been so much more fun than this. But the X-Men are what we get. And here's how we're going to move forward. We've got four destinations to go to because the X-Men have already been dealt with. They're in the party now. So our heroes now need to shut down Kang's plans to take out the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Iron Man. Despite the judge standing in the middle of the basement gymnasium telling everybody that we need to split into composite groups, I I am simply going to refuse to do so. This is all going to run a lot better, a lot easier, if we assume that each of the hero teams we're following just assigns the X-Men as their own unit to go in one of the timeships and go handle Iron Man. Just as simple as that. Every single team, Forest Furies, Misfits, the Zoomers, they all say, X-Men, we love you. 
But honestly, you've got a lot of interpersonal shit going on right now. We know from our privileged position in the timeline that there's much more to come, and we don't want to be caught up in uh, crossovers and alternate realities for the rest of our comic book existence. We're not here to fuck around with the X-Men in a time travel story. So you go by yourselves and go help Tony Stark become Iron Man. Whatever you got to do. Push that shrapnel into his heart yourself if you have to. You take care of that. We are going to go handle some other business. This way, uh, as we go through the pages to come, uh, which are in no particular chronological order, like in any given playthrough of this adventure, the heroes can split up however they want and then address these different Kangs assassinating these different heroes in any order. We're going to treat each of them as the first thing some particular team did, just for convenience sake. So the Misfits are going to head out directly to save the Fantastic Four. Ford's Furies are going to head out first thing to save Spider-Man. The Zoomers are going to head out first thing to save Daredevil, for reasons inscrutable to the non-Zoomer mind. And in every case, the X-Men are going to start by saving Iron Man. So that's a lot of time travel on the docket, and we're going to jump right in. It's only fitting that we start with Marvel's first family, so join me next time as the Misfits travel back to the dawn of the Fantastic Four themselves, and then promptly forget they have a time machine, apparently, on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.